0: Yes, that's right, that is the sound of uncertainty, and welcome to the Risk Topic Podcast. I am your host, Martin Rook, and this is the show that stands at the crossroads of science, technology, health, and society. I mean, I guess that's where this show usually stands, but uh, today's show is going to be a little bit of a special edition, ladies and gentlemen. It is going to be an election results special. Mainly because I haven't seen anything other than election news for the past couple of days. And if you're wondering why I'm sounding just a little bit out of it, just a little bit low energy or lower energy as usual. Um, I was up at like 4 a.m. ladies and gents. I, I was dreaming of election results and I woke up and I had to actually check my laptop and I've been up ever since. So that was, that was less than six hours sleep. And yeah, things are uh <laughs> things are funny this morning. You might be sending out Martin, yeah, that's 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 real sad, man. Um Yes, it is. I, I do all this hard work, so you don't have to. So you can go about your daily business and uh just, you know, <laughs> entrust your political analyses to me. Just a, just a little caveat right now, uh I am recording this at eight oh five in the morning. So there is An awful load of politicking that's going to be going on today. Things may have changed between me recording this and you listening to it. So they have. Don't get all upset at me. Just be sure to to check and verify what I'm saying. But there is one thing that is uh, absolutely 100% guaranteed. It is that the UK has a hung parliament. In that Conservative Prime Minister Theresa May called an election about six weeks ago. And the results came in, and there is no one political party that holds the majority of seats in the Houses of Parliament, Westminster, London, UK. As such, any proposed policy or policy changes would probably lose the vote in the House of Commons. That's why you need the majority. You know, you can instruct the party whip, the the person who's tasked with ensuring that all members of Parliament vote according to what the party or the Prime Minister or the specific ministers want and without holding majority in Houses of Parliament there is absolutely no guarantee that anything proposed will go through because again you know if you're if you're a Labour MP and the Tories are proposing one thing you kind of wouldn't want to side with them. It's not to imply that Labour or the Conservatives have the best idea moving forward in regards to policy but more often than not it just comes back down to games of political currency as such you know you don't want to be that one Labour MP who's always voting in favour of the Tories because when it goes back to your constituents they might just turn around and go you're not Labour if we're going to vote for you we might as well just give our votes to the actual Tories and obviously you know you'd lose your seat and you lose that income and you would lose all of those nice little benefits of being a Member of Parliament. Now, of course, in a hung parliament, you can sit there and ask, who were the biggest winners? Especially when, you know, every talking head on the radio is making everyone out to either A, seem like winners, or B, seem like losers. And it's a very weird situation in which parties can both win and lose in various domains. So, in regards to overall seats, the Conservatives were the clear winners. At the moment, they currently hold 315 seats, where they needed 326 seats to hold a solid majority. And even then, that 326 seat to hold majority isn't that concrete. This is where politics gets really, really interesting because the party of Northern Ireland, Sinn Féin, they do not recognize the authority of Westminster. As such, their members of parliament do not sit in their seats in Westminster. They do not vote. So that actually lowers the number of seats you need to hold majority. And at the moment, Sinn Fein hold seven seats. So the actual number of seats that the Tories need to hold in order to have majority is at 319. But there are only about four other seats to be declared, so they still can't get the majority figure. Now, of course, another big winner would have to be the Labour Party, who currently hold 261 seats. That's up 26 seats from the previous election, and they actually received an extra 9.5% of the vote share. So all in all, about 12.6 million people voted for Labour, which again is very good. That is a definite improvement on Labour's previous attempts. However, that being said, let's not forget the fact that the Tories actually received an increase in the vote share too, about 5.5%. Now that was drawn from UKIP who lost like 10.4% of the overall vote share. Let about 4 million people vote for them last time and that drops down to about half a million. And as it stands right now there is absolutely no way that Jeremy Corbyn can become Prime Minister. He would need to form a coalition with every other party except for the Tories to be in with a shot of leading the country. Now, this brings us on to the next big winner of the, of the night, and arguably the biggest winner out of all of them, the DUP. Now, again, these are another Northern Ireland party who actually have 10 seats in parliament. And unlike Sinn Fein, the DUP are more likely to sit in Westminster and vote and operate as a, I guess you could say, as you would expect a British political party to, to operate in Westminster. Now, from what I've read, and it hasn't been much because the uh, <laughs> the DUP's website actually seems to be crashing an awful lot this morning. I, I can't get on it to double check the manifesto or anything like that. But from what I can read, they share quite a few similar views to that of the Conservatives. Unlike the SNP, the, uh, you know, a, a nationalist party, but very much for the devolution of the UK, the DUP, the Democratic Unionist Party, are very pro-Britain. They're very pro-union, pro-Brexit socially conservative, fiscally conservative. They may be more right-wing than the conservatives are. I I saw one commentator stating that they are the, the UKIP of Northern Ireland, just to give you an idea of what to expect from them. And with their 10 seats, that would put the Tories into power if they were to form a coalition government with the DUP. And unless the DUP do something incredibly stupid... That would be good for both parties, and unlike the previous Tory coalition with the Lib Dems, the Lib Dems wouldn't be dragging the Tories to the centre, or rather the DUP wouldn't be dragging the Tories to the centre. The big question is, would the Tories be dragging the DUP towards the centre, or will it be the other way around? Now again, this opens up all sorts of questions regarding issues in Northern Ireland. Sinn Féin have, I say traditionally have been, but were born out of the IRA movement. Let's not forget that Ireland itself, Ireland proper, has just elected its first openly gay MP who is the child of an immigrant to Ireland. This may directly challenge Sinn Féin's relatively Catholic and conservative views. And again, if Sinn Féin see a sharing of power between the DUP and mainland Britain that could flare up all sorts of tension in Northern Ireland again, and we still see spates of of Northern Irish conflict every now and again. You know, every now and again a, a policeman is tragically killed or someone is stabbed due to political reasons, and especially if there is a Tory DUP coalition moving into Brexit and it allows for a negotiation of a hard Brexit for mainland. UK and a slightly softer Brexit for Northern Ireland it could lead to some massive flaring of in that region. Now the final big winners are the Liberal Democrats. At the last election it seemed as if that that party would absolutely dissolve, like literally dissolve as in it would not be around anymore. However under Douglas Carswell it has managed to, to gain 4 seats despite losing 0.5% of its Voter share. Now, normally I'm quite good at suggesting reasons as to why people vote for particular political parties, but in the case of the Liberal Democrats, I think it genuinely does change depending on the location. You see a spate of constituencies in smaller cities, yet despite that, you also see free constituencies in the southwest of London. But yeah, it's also not specifically related to cities because there are places like uh, Norwich North, I think. Yeah, Norwich North and also that really northernly tip of Scotland that also went to the Lib Dems. At best, I would posit that these areas were particularly anti-Brexit and the Lib Dems were probably the only party that was suggesting another referendum on Brexit. Now let's get on to, uh, to the biggest losers because everyone lost. <laughs> Unless you're the DUP, everyone lost in this, uh, in this election. So top of the tail, the Conservatives lost. They didn't increase the number of seats. They didn't increase their margin. And again, I don't know why people thought that they would. It almost seemed to be an expectation that Those 4 million people who voted for UKIP would go on to vote for the Tories. Sure, there'd be an awful load of them, but it wouldn't have been everyone. There would have been some people who'd sit there and go, no, I like Corbyn, and I'm going to vote for Corbyn. And if the Conservatives can reach an agreement with the DUP, there's no suggestion that they would actually be any weaker than what they are now. If anything the DUP could act as a foil for the Conservatives and appeal to the more conservative voter leaving the Tories proper to appeal to the more centrist centre left or fiscally conservative liberal. Yes it is a time that the Tory party is going to have to lick their wounds but again they've seen where they've gone wrong now. They still managed to get the most amount of seats despite running and incredibly weak campaign conversely to that this is where labor lose labor run an incredibly strong campaign i mean a a seriously strong campaign especially young uh, amongst young people on social media even in the papers there was very very little wiggle room wiggle room there we go let's let's get your r's and your w's around the right way it has been a long night but labor gave Theresa May very little wiggle room to survive. Even after the spate of terrorist attacks that we've seen in Manchester and London, they were still able to turn that around and make it Theresa May's fault. I'm sitting there expecting that Theresa May would say, well, you know, this was these these attacks were based on the previous uh, policies, the immigration policies of the previous Labour government and stuff like that. But no, she she couldn't really. And yet Labour hit her with, all oh, this is because you cut funding to the police. I, imagine what would happen if Theresa May cut funding to the NHS. Imagine how much worse it would have been without any doctors on call. Stuff like that. And again, look back over your timeline after the past few weeks on Facebook and and Twitter and stuff like that, there was hardly any posts that were pro-conservative being amplified. Momentum, for example, the the pro-Labor network, I guess you could say, was producing some top-end political videos. They knew exactly what they were doing, and even then, they still couldn't pull it out of the bag for Labor. And now they have played their hand. Again, I'm assuming that there will be a coalition government formed and Labour won't form a part of it, but they've shown the Conservatives where they went wrong. The Conservatives got cocky, but they didn't get punished for it. They got wounds to lick, yeah, but it's not as if we're seeing the same sort of desertion from the Tories that we saw with the Liberal Dems in the last election. Now let's, now let's look north to, uh, to, to Scotland. I think the SNP may have been the biggest casualty out of all of this. A loss of 21 seats, but a loss of seats mostly to the Scottish Conservatives. Conservatives. Again, Nicola Sturgeon was another politician who seemed to get very, very cocky in the strength of her political party, and she got punished. She lost city seats, she lost rural seats, She lost border constituencies, all of which has drastically reduced the SNP's bargaining power with Labour. And there's been sort of postulations being thrown about the sphere of political commentary in that Nicola Sturgeon's repeated attempts to push for another Scottish independence referendum was her downfall. There was more to governing than this one particular single issue and that was something that she seemed to have forgotten about. There's been cases that I can remember over the past few months of schools falling down because they hadn't been built properly or maintained properly and even the uh, the transport minister for Scotland reportedly went on record saying that he's not an expert in transport. I mean you know it's sort of one of the things you kind of really expect from your ministers is to be a relative expert you know I wouldn't expect a minister for science let's say to turn around and go yeah I know as much about theoretical physics as Stephen Hawkins but you wouldn't exactly want him on record going no I'm not an expert in science at all really I'm just here for the job and finally as I previously mentioned uh, UKIP lost an awful amount of the vote share about 3.5 million votes but again this was this was to be expected the relation between UKIP and its voters seems to be mediated through Nigel Farage, so without him there's sort of no party really. Now where do we go from here? Well in case you haven't already sort of got the hint, expect a Theresa May led DUP Tory coalition government. I know people are calling for Theresa May to resign but she probably won't, at least not yet anyway. We all know that Boris Johnson is waiting in the wings but he will not want to accept this mess. If anything we'll probably see Theresa May go on for about another two and a half years before she steps down in favor of Boris Johnson stepping up or running against her in the next general election. Also, expect Theresa May to readjust the Tory manifesto especially if they're working in conjunction with the DUP and then reframe that as political bargaining. But it will be something that will set out to address some of the glaring issues in the previous manifesto. Now of course the big question is in regards to Labour, what's going to happen? No doubt Jeremy Corbyn will be bolstered by his political success. Those who support Corbyn will be bolstered by Corbyn's political success. However, Labour only received 40.1% of the vote share, whereas the Conservatives got 42.4% of the vote share. And the big question is, will Jeremy Corbyn be able to maintain his message over the next five or so years? Will the public be interested in hearing that message over the next five or so years, especially if the Tories listen to what he's saying and acts upon it? Beyond that, there are also massive consumer security concerns and other issues that Labour are a little bit weaker at addressing at the moment. And again, the other big question is what's going to happen with the fans and supporters of Jeremy Corbyn? If we start seeing mass protests, mass riots in opposition to Theresa May or a Tory-led government, that could turn a lot of people off to Labour. They may start looking at the Lib Dems, uh, the Greens again. Because this is one of the things that the political left in the UK suffer from It's that it's highly fragmented. You have Labour, Scottish National Party, Liberal Democrats, Green Party, Plaid Camry, which I probably just butchered the enunciation of. But that's five different political parties that are situated relatively on the the left-hand side of the political spectrum. Whereas on the right, you have the Conservatives And UKIP, maybe? And especially if you're starting to get people within the Labour Party who get a bit sick and tired of the Jeremy Corbyn brand, they very well could split to form another centre-left party. Sort of in the vein of Tony Blair. Ah, that would be... This would be the killer party, (laughs) okay? This would be absolutely killer. A centre-left Blairist party led by Nigel Farage. The only focus you'd you'd have to have there is sort of on a kind of British nationalism as opposed to a kind of European globalism and that would be a very powerful party on the centre left. And especially if Nicola Sturgeon's popularity continues to wane in Scotland. And let's not forget that in another 4 or 5 years time when we have another election We're going to have a whole new generation of young people voting. This current young people will be gone. The new young people, those who are sort of 15, 16, 17 at the moment, that generation is said to be the most conservative probably since the 50s. But they're looking for a party that is relatively anti-establishment. What Corbyn offered was, A degree of anti-establishmentarianism. The construction of a new centrist party. One spearheaded by someone like Nigel Farage or Boris Johnson. Yeah, that would be a political force to be reckoned with. Anyway, I am going to go to sleep now. Because the words are not coming to my mouth lips. And my tongue is getting hogtied. I need some Pro Plus. I I have caffeine tablets in the cupboard. I'm going to take them and then go do some more phd work if you have enjoyed the risk topic podcast the political topic podcast today please feel free to share it amongst your friends your fellow political compatriots obviously you can follow the show on soundcloud stitcher and itunes like it rate it do whatever you fancy to it i have been your host martin rook it has been a very long night of politics in the uk and i will see you all again next week bye bye.